Well, we are, um, we're continuing our series on Proverbs this week, last week. Uh, we had a guest preacher here, which was excellent. Uh, it was fun for me to just kind of sit back and receive some teaching. Um, I was gone at the beginning of last week for a conference, which is why we had uh, Shannon come in and share with us. But this week we're back on the, uh, the study of Proverbs. And you remember this book is a great gift from God for us. Uh, it, is, it is one book in the, kind of the middle of the Bible that contains pure wisdom. Just really helpful, practical, real-life stuff from God. And we've defined wisdom, you might remember, as skill in the art of living in God's world. So we said this world that exists, it's God's world. He made it. He knows how it works. He's, he's like the designer of it. And so he's given us a, an owner's manual, you could say. He'd say, this is how you're supposed to live in the world. This is the best way to live so that you can flourish and in a sense, the whole Bible is that, but Proverbs is a really distilled selection of God's instruction for us. Here's how you live wisely in the world, living in line with the Creator's design so that you can flourish in all areas of your life. And so far, we've worked our way through. We've talked about wisdom in general. We've talked about wisdom for friends and friendship. We've talked about wisdom in marriage. We've talked about wisdom in sex. And today, we're going to talk about wisdom in family life. What's it mean? What's the best way to flourish as a, as a mother, as a father, as a child? And I think that covers everybody. Well, how do we flourish within the context of our family lives? What does God have to say about family? And let me tell you, there's a lot there. <laughs> I cut probably two-fifths two of this sermon. And I thought I was being uh, frugal at that point. But, but we've got three things today. I, I, the three things I just couldn't let go, as I looked at, the st- at Proverbs, all it says about family and family life, I've got three main places that we're going to go this morning. I'm going to start with principles for parents in family life, and then some principles for children in family life, and then what do you do when it doesn't work properly? Okay, some wisdom for when family life isn't the way it is. So the first two sections... Admittedly, I'm going to be painting a pretty rosy picture, saying this is what it should look like, this is what it can look like, but just wait, the third one we're going to talk about, but what about when it doesn't work that way? So first, let's just dive right in. Some principles from Proverbs for family life for parents. Okay, Parents. First of all, Proverbs says we need to make it your goal to raise wise children. Okay, Make it your goal to raise wise children. So we've got a few... Proverbs are going to come up on the screen here. Um, as you think about it, we have goals for our children. If you're a parent, if you're a grandparent, um, you, you have goals for your children. There's lots of goals you can have, right? You can have goals that your child will be uh, happy, child will be successful. Um, maybe your goal is that your child will produce grandchildren. Uh, you've got goals that, that your kids will do well. There's lots of goals, lots of good goals you can have, but there's one goal, as you look through God's wisdom in Proverbs, that is above all the most important Goal. Let's see if we can figure it out. Proverbs 10.1 A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 15.20 A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish man despises his mother. Proverbs 23.15 and 16 My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. Proverbs 29.3 He who loves wisdom makes his father glad. Anybody seen the pattern there? It's 
pretty obvious, I think. It's, what I do is not rocket science. I study the Bible, I see what it says, and then I tell you. So we can all do this. What, what is the goal? What's the goal we should have for our children? What makes your heart glad? A wise child. Okay. The goal in raising children, what you're shooting for more than anything else, is you're shooting for your children to be wise. You want your kids to have skill in the art of living in God's world. If you get this, you remember we talked about this the first week, wisdom is the thing that is more valuable than anything else because when you get wisdom, you get everything else. When you understand how to live in the world, how God's world functions and you live in line with that design, then you get all those other things. So wisdom is what we want. Now, Proverbs 22, 6, will be our next one, I think really nails the intent of parenting. This is a pretty familiar one. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. The, the idea is you've got a limited window as a parent, a limited window of time when you can invest in your child to train him or her up in the way that he should go. And then you let them go. Got that? You, you have to let them go. But the idea is that when you let them go, they keep going the way that you led them. Okay? You, you picture like, you know, some of the imagery in the Bible is children are like arrows in your quiver. Okay? So what do you do with the arrows? You, you take them, you aim them, and then you let them go. And you hope they go in the right direction. And, and that's what the Bible is saying. As parents, your goal is to raise children who are trained up in the right direction so that when you let them go, they continue on that way. You want your kids to be wise. You want that goal. You've got a limited amount of time. You want to use that time to train them in wisdom. Okay? Now, we all have goals, whether you've stated them or not. You might not have sat down with a mission statement and said, this is my mission statement for my child. I'm going to make my child a great musician. But maybe that is your goal. Or maybe your goal is for your child to be a great athlete. Or, or to be a great scholar. And, and whether you say that or not, you, you can tell what your goal is by how you're spending your time. Like if you want your child to be a really great musician, you just look. You, are you spending money giving, giving them um, music lessons? Uh, are you, are you, you know, always exposing them to good music, taking them to concerts, uh, investing all of your time and energy so that they become a good musician? Um, are you, if you want your kid to be an athlete, are you playing catch with them? Are you putting them on sports teams? Are you taking them to travel teams? Are you investing time hiring personal coaches to train your kids, right? If you want your kid to be a scholar, it's like are you, are you spending time with them, going over their homework, and are you structuring their day so that they can you know, get good study time? Are you, are you, you know, signing them up for, for uh, extracurricular activities and things in the summer camps, science camps, and all sorts of stuff? Like, If you've got a goal, you invest your time to accomplish that goal. So just, I mean, look at yourself. Look what you're doing. Look how you're investing time in your kids' lives. What is your goal? You've got a limited amount of time. You can spend all your time and all your energy teaching your kid to have a great swing. Or you can spend your time training them to be wise. Now, you can be a wise baseball player, too, and they're not mutually exclusive. But I'm just saying, how are you investing your time? If you want them to be wise, you need to do certain things to help them get there. And that's what the next three principles here are about. So the first principle for parents is make it your goal that your kids become wise. Now the next three are how can you do that? Number two, create an atmosphere of love, of unconditional love, and delight. So our verse for this is Proverbs 3, 
11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now the main focus, emphasis of this verse is on discipline. We'll get to that later. But I want you to see what underlies this discipline here. So the Lord disciplines, we should discipline, we'll get there. But it says, the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So you see, the, the, the baseline, the foundational atmosphere that, that family life should have is one of love and delight. And you, you recognize that, that God is a pattern for us in family. Family is something that God made, somewhat patterned after his own existence. You know, in some ways, the Trinity is an example for us of what the family life is supposed to look like. And, and you look at God in the way that he loves his son. You look at the father in the way he loves and delights his son. He, he has unconditional love for Jesus. He absolutely delights in Jesus. You know, the father really, really enjoys Jesus. And that's a pattern that he has for us, that this is what family life is supposed to be like. A parent loving and delighting in, unconditionally delighting in your child. So the really cool thing is that as God, the Father, delights in Jesus, his son, you understand, he also delights in you that same way. See, if you're a Christian, this is really astounding. I mean, I don't, I don't want this to, to kind of pass by. I want you to see this, because this will help you as a parent, too. See, we don't deserve God's love. You get that? I mean, we, we don't deserve it. There's nothing that we do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. What we deserve, in fact, is God's wrath, because we're his enemies by nature. All of us are born enemies of God. We're opposed to him. We're, we are actively rebelling against him. We're sinning against him. We deserved his wrath. We deserve to be punished, Right? But what do we get? You know, in the gospel, what God offers for us is, is forgiveness and unconditional love. How does that work? Well, his son Jesus came to earth and he lived a perfect life. He, he never did anything wrong. He never deserved the wrath of God. He only did everything all the time that would have God the Father delight in him unconditionally. And then he offered himself up to die on the cross in our place. We deserve that wrath. We deserve that cross but Jesus died in our place on that cross. And then he rose from the dead. And, and so I'm going to throw out a, a theological word here. I'm going to explain it. But what happened is imputation. Okay, This is a good word, imputation. What Jesus had was imputed to us and what we had was imputed to him. It means it was transferred. It was credited to his account. Okay, So, so for us, let's start with us. What did we deserve? What did we have? We had wrath. We had judgment. We were the bad kids. We deserved to be separated, to be cut off, disinherited. And all that got imputed to Jesus. It got put on him. And what did Jesus deserve? He deserved unconditional delight. He deserved unconditional love. He deserved the Father to just lavish affection on him because of his perfect life. And, and, and what did we get? We got that imputed to us. Okay, so so if, if you put your faith in Jesus, what happens is that all of your sin and all of your all of the punishment that you deserve gets put on him and all of the righteousness and all of the delight that he deserves gets put on you so that when the Father looks at you, here's the payoff, when the Father looks at you, 
He sees Jesus. And the unconditional delight and love and affection that the Father has for the Son of God, he has that same delight and affection for you if you've put your faith in Christ. Um, if you haven't done that, if, if, if you think, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't think I've done that, then you need to talk to me today. Or you need to right now just stop, stop paying attention to anything else I'm going to say, and you just stop and you need to pray and just say, Father, I, I may have never called you, Father before. Um, I don't know that I'm right with you. I don't know that you delight in me, but, but I want you to. And I know I can't do it myself. And I accept the sacrifice of Jesus on my behalf. And I, and I want to be your child. Now when that happens, you get delighted in and loved unconditionally by the Father. And then that changes you. So that you, as a parent, if you're a parent, that can become for you the foundational way in which you accept and delight in your children. Because that's what you need. God is the pattern. He is the one who, he's, he loves us as a father, the son in whom he delights. And he says, you as parents in your families, I want you to model that same behavior, that same unconditional love and same delight and acceptance for your kids. So motivated by the gospel and his love for us, we can pour out that love for others. And, and how do we do that? Well, one of the ways to do that is you just, you let your kids know that they are loved and accepted as they are. We didn't have to get cleaned up to come to Jesus. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. That's Romans 5.8. In the same way, we look at our kids, and, and not even in moral categories, but you just look at your kids and there's different things. Some, some of your kids are very different from you. Some of your kids are very similar to you in ways that you wish they weren't. And you look at them and you don't want to delight in them. You want to change them so that you then can delight in them, but that's not how God works. And so we as parents, we look at our kids and we say, you are very physical, you are very shy, you are very emotional, you are very athletic, you are very inquisitive, you are different from me, and I love it. God made you that way, and I accept you that way, and you need to tell them that, you need to show them that. You need to give them obvious displays of affection that cannot be misinterpreted. You need to tell them again and again that you love them. And you tell them, I like this about you. And you say, I, you need to hug them, you need to touch them, you need to kiss them. You need to spend time together. And this may be foreign to you. It may not be the way that your earthly parents did this. But this is how God loves us. And he can give us that pattern. He can renew us with that strength and, and, and the ability to start fresh. To create an atmosphere of love and delight. If you want wise children, you need to create an atmosphere of love and delight. And then to that, there's our third principle, you need to give wise instruction. So create an atmosphere of love and delight and then add to that wise instruction. This is pretty much the whole book of Proverbs, but here's a couple verses. Proverbs 3.1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. You see, wisdom doesn't happen automatically. It's different in this regard from physical maturity. Okay, kids just grow up. Like you, you go away from, from kids for a while and you come back and you see them and you say, how did you get so much taller? And the kids not, and they don't give you an answer, right? They're like, well, I just, it just happened. Uh, and, and, you know, if you, if you, don't, <laughs> you don't go up to parents and congratulate them on how tall their children have gotten. 
you must be wonderful parents, your kids are so tall. Or you must be horrible parents, your kids are so physically immature. No, it's just, it just happens. It's, you really don't have to invest that much in your kids. I mean, if you're feeding them, basically, then that's it. Um, physical maturity just happens. But wisdom is intentional. Wisdom doesn't just happen. What do these verses say? It, there's, a, there's a father and a mother. Look at that second one there. Father and mother both teaching, investing in the child, saying this is right, this is wrong. This is wisdom, this is foolishness. It's primarily, parents, it's primarily your responsibility to teach your children wisdom which means you have to be intentional, you have to do things, you have to say stuff, you have to teach them what is right and what is wrong. Now, again, how do we do this? The, the first thing, the most important thing, is if you're gonna do this, you've got to be wise yourself. You can never pass on to them what you've never first internalized. That's a basic leadership principle. You can only lead people as far as you've gone yourself. They're never gonna pass you by. So you first gotta take care of yourself and teach yourself wisdom. You've gotta be studying your Bible. You've got to be taking in the scripture regularly in some way. You've got to be seeking advice and counsel from others. You've got to be praying to God, asking him to give you wisdom so that you can pass it on to your kids. And then you've got to find ways to communicate it to your children. Now, there's lots of ways to do that. I'm not going to impose one particular way on doing that, but here's some ideas. See if any of these fit for you, ways that you can pass on wisdom to your kids. One of them, time-tested it's just having regular family devotional times. Uh, you, you just sit down together, maybe read a passage of scripture, talk about it, or there's a million books out there of different things you can do. I've got resources. If you're interested in that, talk to me. I'll, I'll give you a little plan how you can work this out. But that's one way, just saying, we're going to spend some time, maybe once a week, or maybe even every, every day, or three times a day, say, we're going to get together, we're going to read the Bible together, we're going to pray. That's one way to do it. Uh, another way to do it is just talking over the sermon. You can use the discussion questions, okay? That's one possible way to, you've got them in your bulletin, you've got these questions, just to begin a discussion. Say, what did you think? To move beyond saying, was that a good sermon today? Yeah, or no. Did you like it? Yeah. Okay, we talked about the sermon. No, let's get at the heart. Let's, let's get a little deeper. Let's talk about it. Another one, very different. You can listen to music together with your kids. You can watch a movie with your kids. And then when it's over, again, move beyond, did you like that? Did you not like that? To, you know, what did you think about that? What, what were they teaching there? Was that character wise to do that? Was that character foolish to do that? What does God's word say about that behavior? You know, you can talk about these things. You could set aside a regular date with your children, with each child. Say, I'm going to, you know, every Saturday morning or, or once a month, going to go out with, with your kid just to create some space to talk. Maybe you're not instructing your child because you never talk to your child. Because there's never any time together as a family. So create some space for that to happen. Um, another one, I don't want to embarrass my dad, but this is, this is really helpful for me as a kid, is that just any time we were doing anything, projects together, whatever, he has the gift to kind of make scriptural lessons out of it. Just, just really good. And the one that sticks in my mind more than any is a great one. We were probably making... Um, probably some steps or a deck. We did a lot of deck building. And uh, we were cutting a number of boards that were the same size. Okay, so I'm just there and helping him. And each time we would measure the board, even though they were all the same size, measure the board before we cut it. And I, I think he asked this, I don't remember. Oh, 
Are we on? Maybe I asked this, I don't remember. Um, but the question came up, why do we measure each time if they're all the same size? Why don't we just take one board and put it on top of the other board and measure that and save time? And he said, well, but if the first one that you cut is just a little bit off, and then the next one's a little bit off, and you use that one to measure the next one, that one's a little bit off, by the time you get to the last board, you, know, you might be a quarter inch shorter than you should be. But if you go back to the, the standard each time and you measure it, they're all going to be the same size. And he said, you see, that's, that's why we go back to the Bible all the time, to God's standard. If we just compare ourselves to other people, you say, well, I'm, I'm doing as well as that person, and then, then you can, they, somebody else compares themselves to you, and you say, well, I'm, I'm almost as good as that person. And before you know it, you, you're, you've slid down so far from God's standard for life, you need to go back to the Bible. There's your mini-sermon for the day. You're prob that's probably what you remember from this sermon, I bet. That's okay. But that's a way you do it. You just, you're living life. You're living life. And, and because you're saturated in Scripture and you're saturated in what God's, and you care about your child and teaching your kids wisdom, it just flows out of you. It's your responsibility. If you want to raise wise kids, you, you need to create an atmosphere of love and delight. And to the atmosphere of love and delight, add wise instruction. The fourth principle is administer appropriate discipline. Again, Proverbs is full of this, but here's just a few verses. Proverbs 22:15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So this verse teaches us a couple things. First, it reminds us that is it is the nature of children to be inherently foolish. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It is the nature of children to be inherently foolish. When you read through Proverbs, you, you see two different types of people. There's wise people and there's foolish people. And, and really, foolish people, you can boil it down to this, they're like kids who've never grown up. They're people who are childish, um, people who still think the world revolves around them, people who don't understand others' emotions and their needs, folks who can't recognize bad friends, people who don't understand consequences for actions, people who can't delay gratification for something later. Um, these are all childish tendencies. Kids are inherently foolish. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The other thing this verse tells us is that that nature is not easily changed. Okay, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It, it, it's, it's, tight. it's part of their nature. It takes a lot of effort to get it to change. Uh, you, you don't just go up to a kid who's being selfish and say, um, you're being selfish. You, you need to stop that. And then they say, oh, mother, you are so wise. Thank you. for. I didn't realize I was being selfish. But now that you've explained that, I understand and I will never do it again because all I needed was someone to tell me that that was selfish. No, kids don't act like that because folly is bound up in the heart of a child. It's, it's tightly wound up in their nature, in our nature. It's not just enough. Bare instruction is not enough. You need to add something to it so that the lesson sticks. You need discipline. Now in Proverbs, it's called the rod of discipline. That's what we see in this verse here. Uh, the rod of discipline. And, and the rod, that phrase, rod or rod of discipline, is very common in Proverbs. Now, it surely includes corporal punishment. It surely includes that. But it does not require that for every offense you hit your kids. It doesn't limit discipline to physical discipline. It's the most common expression of it in Proverbs. 
but it's not limited to that. And it certainly does not authorize abuse of children. Now, there's other verses that give us a sense of the spectrum of what discipline can look like. Proverbs 29:15 says, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Proverbs 13:24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So in these verses, we get at least three data points that I think tells us we've got a spectrum of options. One of them is the rod. So again, in, in 29.15, you see the rod is there. And that's physical discipline, not abuse, but a controlled, measured spanking or some form of physical um, response to, uh, to disobedience. But that's not the only option. Number two, it says there's reproof. The rod and reproof give wisdom. So it's not always the rod. So you don't always have to respond to physical discipline. There's also reproof, which is a verbal thing. So I would think this would include you know, verbal rebukes or things like um, timeouts or groundings or some sort of reasoned approach to child discipline. So two data points on the spectrum. Another point on the other end is leaving the child to him or herself. The child left himself in Proverbs 29:15 or 13, 24, sparing the rod that is not daring to discipline your child. Now clearly that one is bad. That is destructive. That is a form of actually hating your child. Because you're allowing them to continue in foolishness. And unchecked, that's going to wreck their life. So you can't leave your child alone. You can't not discipline. Just say, well, let them be kids. That's kids being kids. No, that's a kid being a fool. You need to do something about that. But on the other hand, you have options when disciplining. And the options really depend on the kid and the situation. Okay, some kids just shrivel up and die when you look at them wrong. Okay? You, don't, you don't need to spank. You just need to be like, I am really disappointed. And they're just, oh, I'll never do that again. Other kids, you can spank, and they're just like, whatever. So, so you've got to figure it out. You've got to look at the kid and say, what is going to get at this kid? And in the situation, you know, some things are minor, some things are more major, and it changes with age, too. So you've you got to use wisdom. But the point is, you've got to administer whatever discipline is just enough to be stronger than the folly that's bound up in the heart. If you do that, then you help your child progress on wisdom. Okay, this is not just about parents, so we're going to keep moving on. But four principles for parents. The goal is wisdom. The atmosphere must be love and delight. You must intentionally give wise instruction, and you must discipline appropriately. Now, what about kids? This is going to be faster, because in some sense, it's easier for kids. I'm speaking of adult children here, too. You can just kind of flip what we had for parents. So the first thing is, make it your goal to become wise. Again, as kids, you have goals for yourself. We have goals for ourselves. A lot of times it's self-sufficiency, independence, to leave parents behind, to not have them telling me what to do anymore. But your goal ought to be wisdom. And because of that, you need to recognize that God has given you parents as a gift. Not to be left behind when you get old enough, but to be continually honored and consulted even as you age. So it gets on to point number two. How do you become wise? Listen to and honor your parents. Proverbs 23:22. Listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. 
That's what I'm saying, is that you don't grow out of this. Okay? I'm not talking primarily to little children, although this is true for little children too. For all of us, as children of parents, do not despise your parents when they are old. There's no age limit. We are supposed to listen to and honor our parents. It's going to look different at different times. Again, there's a spectrum. So when you're younger, when you're a, a little kid, it looks a lot like just obeying. Parents say it, you obey it. That's how you honor. As you get older and then you transition out to be an independent adult, you don't throw them to the curb. You don't have to obey everything they say. They don't have that same sort of authority over you, but you still honor. You still seek to listen, to value them, to ask for their advice, to listen when it's good advice, and try to figure out how to do that. Take them out for Mother's Day. No matter where you are in the spectrum, you're, you're still a child. You still have that responsibility to, to listen to and honor your parents. Without them, you wouldn't exist. And that's worth something. Uh, the details are things we can work out. We'll talk about that more in discussion groups. But for now, I want to transition to what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work that way? You know, I've given you general instruction. This is great when you've got parents who love you, who, uh, who instruct you and discipline you wisely, and it's great when kids obey and, and they trust the Lord. And, you know, but what about those place, times when it doesn't work? Because those are prevalent, right? When family life doesn't work properly, what are we going to do? Uh, first of all, just want to recognize that there are foolish parents and children. I constantly want to be bringing this before you, just, just remind you, the Bible does not paint an idealistic picture as if everything is always okay. okay? There are foolish parents and foolish children. There's Proverbs about that. Um, let's see, Proverbs 14.1. The wisest woman builds her house, but folly with her own hands tears it down. There's your options, right? Some mothers are wise, they build their house, they, they shape a godly house, they invest in their children, they do a wonderful job. Some mothers are foolish. Some mothers, through their folly, tear their own house down and ruin their family. Some fathers are foolish and with their own folly destroy their own house. Okay, that, that's real. There's foolish kids too. Let's revisit Proverbs 22.6. Proverbs 22.6 says, um, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Right? Now, this verse gets misused. So that's why we're coming back to it here. Some people think, if I train up my child in the way he or she should go, then when they're old, they will not depart from it. So if they do depart from it, then it must have been my fault. I must have screwed up. I must not have trained them the way they should go. Listen, it's a proverb, not a promise saying this is the way of wisdom, generally speaking. If you train your kids right, they're going to keep going that direction. But look, children are independent people just like you are. Children make their own decisions. Children are responsible for themselves. So sometimes you instruct and you teach and you love and you care for them and they don't turn out the way you wanted them to. Proverbs 2.1 says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. Get it? That, that note of conditionality. The father's speaking to the son, the, the, the person writing Proverbs is saying, I'm teaching you, I'm investing in you, but there's still the chance you won't listen. 
Proverbs 13.1 says, A wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. In both cases, the father is instructing the son. The wise son listens. The scoffer doesn't. It's not the father's fault. Some kids are foolish. So, the reality is I painted a rosy picture of what it can look like, and it, that's real, it can look like that. But, there's also reality that often it doesn't. Some parents are fools, some children are fools, some of us are fools. What are we supposed to do? Here's the verse I want to end on. Proverbs 14, 26 and 27. This tells us that the Lord gives hope to fools, to children of fools, and to parents of fools. The fear of the Lord, in the fear of the Lord, one has a strong confidence and his children will have a refuge. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that one may turn away from the snares of death. We've talked about the fear of the Lord a little bit before. This shorthand, the fear of the Lord is like Old Testament speak for believe in the gospel. Okay, fear of the Lord is, is you know, humbling yourself before God, saying, I can't do this on my own. I need you. It's trusting in God. So in, in kind of New Testament Christian speak, we would say believing the gospel, trusting in God for salvation and for him to care for us in life. So this verse is saying, in the fear of the Lord, there is hope. In believing the gospel, there is hope. So if you're a fool, if your parents are fools, or your kids are fools, there's hope for you in the gospel. Let's start with fools, because that's where I am this week. I mean, you guys think it's bad sitting here for, what, 40 minutes, listening to me give you the cliff notes of what I've studied all week? I mean, I'm, <laughs> I gotta live this stuff all week. I've gotten beaten up. The things that I've failed that I haven't shared with you, the principles from the word. Like, when you look at the standards of scripture, you, you see God's intent, and then you look at yourself, and you say, I'm a fool. I'm, I'm a horrible parent. Or at least I'm failing in some very significant ways. I mean, what it does for me is it shatters my confidence in myself. So I need a different confidence because I'm a fool. So here's the hope. The hope is that fools like me can repent from self-confidence and receive the fountain of life. Right? So, so we're, if we're bad parents, if we're bad kids, what do we do? We, we repent of our confidence in ourselves and we say, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Not, not in my ability to, to be a good parent. Not in my ability to read the right parenting books and get the techniques figured out and, and be this awesome parent. It's, it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. Trusting in him, believing in him, finding hope and faith from him, and then we receive a fountain of life. As we turn to Jesus, we get this fountain of life. We get the confidence that there's grace for failures. There's forgiveness. And that he's in control, that no matter what happens, he's got our children in his hand. He provides a refuge for our children. As we trust in him, he takes care of our failures. So there's hope for fools. There's hope for children with foolish parents. So maybe your situation, maybe when I was sitting there talking about honoring your parents, you're like, nah, uh not my parents. Maybe your parents failed you. Okay? Maybe in some significant ways. And so if that happens, you've got a couple temptations. One is you can say, well, I'm just going to do the same thing to my kids. I'm trapped. That's just how we are. You don't have to, no, you don't have to. You don't have to repeat that. The other temptation, just say, 
to go the opposite direction and say, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to be a great parent where they were a horrible parent. I'm going to do it all on my own. Okay, well, there's some danger there too. You, you, you can't do it on your own. So what's your hope? Same thing. You can escape from those death traps, those snares of death that you got from your parents, that the ways that they acted that hurt you, you don't have to pass that on to your kids. There's hope for you. Turn to Jesus. Let him become for you a fountain of life, renewing your heart from the inside out so that you don't have to repeat the same patterns. It's also a danger, a death trap, to be trapped in bitterness. And to say, my parents have done so many bad things to me. I just can't forgive them. Well, you're still controlled by them. That's still ruining your life. What do you need to do? You need to repent of that. You need to let it go. Escape from the snares of death. Turn to the fountain of life. Let the gospel work on you from the inside out. That you can forgive your parents, trust God, and start a new chapter for your own family. That's what you do if you've got foolish parents. Now, what if you have foolish kids? Let's say you're deeply disappointed. I read that verse, train up a child in the way you should go, and, and that just hit you like an arrow in your heart. And you said, they did not go that way. You're disappointed because your kids didn't turn out the way you wanted. And, and I think, with all due respect, what you need this morning is you need to get happy. You, you need to see that the Lord is a fountain of life. That when you believe in the gospel, you can be happy. You can be joyful even if your kids are screwing up their lives. God is not impressed with you moping around, being all sad because your kids are making bad decisions. He's not going to bless you more if you beat yourself up for the fact that they're not acting the way you want them to. You're responsible for you. And you need to begin by believing the gospel and being liberated from your shame and your guilt over whether you were a bad parent or just being liberated from your condemnation of your kids and blaming them for all that they've done. You need to get happy. You need to realize that you can have life. You can be joyful, even if your kids are fools. At the same time, you need to turn from the snares of death. There's probably a fair amount of repentance that you have to do. Do you think your kids, they might be fools, but they're not idiots. They know that you're upset. They know you're disappointed. They know you're not happy with how their lives have turned out. And they can feel that moping and that, that, uh, that sorrow that you've always got around them. Like, I'd really like to accept you completely, but I can't because you're not acting the way I want you to. That's not the gospel. That's not how God treats us. God treats us with love and unconditional delight and acceptance. Your kids know that you don't accept them. And that's part of why they're staying away. What you need to do is repent. You need to delight in them, get happy in the gospel, and let that overflow into their lives. It doesn't mean you approve of whatever they're doing, but it means that you approve of them, that you love them. You probably need to do the bold step of going to your children and asking them if there's anything they've got against you. You should put on your big boy pants before you do that, because it's going to be hard. They're going to say some things that you don't like. You're going to want to defend yourself. You're going to turn around and tell them all the ways that they've screwed up, but that's not going to fix your kids. You need to take the blame where it's deserved. You need to love them as they are. Put your confidence in the Lord and just pray that God will bring them into the refuge with you. But you've got to accept them.
You've got to love them. If you're a parent of a foolish child, you need to repent and find joy in the Lord. See, God knows our families aren't perfect. God knows my family's not perfect. So he gives us grace to heal and he gives us some principles so that we can flourish. And my prayer for us as a congregation is that by God's grace, that all of us, you, me, and our families would flourish more and more as we begin to pursue God's wisdom for our life together. Let's pray. Father, we are well aware of our failures, but I hope and pray that that makes us even more aware of your grace. Lord, you have loved us and redeemed us when we have been bad children. I I pray that you would love us and redeem us um, in our human relationships as parents and as children, as siblings, as grandparents, as grandkids, aunts and uncles. I mean, Lord, would you help us? Would you build strong families uh, within our church? Would you heal families? Would you bring glory to your name as we love one another with the shadow of the way in which you love us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.